This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Colbert Report, The David Pakman Show, NPR, The Progressive, The Daily Show, Jim Hightower, Media Matters, The Young Turks, The Onion Radio News, The David Feldman Show, and The Show, with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Daily Show. This is a very big week for Republican presidential candidates. Tonight, there's the debate in Iowa that will feature all the major players and Tim Pawlenty. <laughs> then, Saturday, of course, is the straw poll in Ames, a crucial test to see if a candidate can get Midwesterners to put down a food plate long enough to mark a ballot. <laughs> but the big news today came from the Iowa State Fair in Des Moines, where in an attempt to appeal to more voters, Ron Paul had himself batter-dipped and deep-fat fried. <laughs> that was good. A little chipotle sauce. Meanwhile, Mitt Romney was at the state fair in his everyman dungarees when he was ambushed by liberal activists with a gotcha question about Social Security. And with his answer, Romney proved he didn't just dress like the average Joe, he understands the average Joe. We have to make sure that the promises we make in Social Security, Medicaid, and Medicare are promises we can keep. And there are various ways of doing that. One is we could raise taxes on people. That's not the way... That, Corporations. Cor Corporations are people, my friend. Yes. Corporations are people, my friend. They're like members of your family. Your brother, fax machine. Your Uncle Ben. Your Aunt Annie. Your Mama Celeste, your GoDaddy. <laughs> Folks, I have been fighting this good fight for years. Corporations are legally people in the United States. Corporations are people. Corporations are people. Corporations are people, too. Would you let your daughter date a corporation, sir? <laughs> no, I would not. Wow. In this day and age, that kind of bigotry... It is time to remake Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, this time with an oil rig. And you know, you know it is going to drive Spencer Tracy crazy to think about his daughter getting drilled. Now with... With Romney's historic statement of corporate personhood, he has become this generation's civil rights champion, a Dr. Martin Luther, Inc., if you will. Real quick on the 2012 election, Michelle Bachman has won the Iowa straw poll. Great. She's not going to be the next president of the United States, period. Tim Pawlenty has dropped out. I don't really care. He never had a shot anyway. But Rick Perry is now in, and Rick Perry, governor of Texas, I believe actually has a chance of being the Republican nominee. Some say he doesn't. 
I argue he shouldn't, but he does have a chance. And this is a scary guy. This is a very scary guy. Number one, I don't know why Republicans like him so much, and some probably don't, uh, because he's a big government guy. He became governor. Spending was $49 billion. Ten years later, it's $90 billion. That's not exactly reducing the size of government. The debt in Texas is out of control. The debt per citizen is almost $11,000. California, which is a financial disaster, as we know, Lewis, only has a debt of about $9,900 per, per citizen. Yes, their population is bigger. But still, where, where is, what's going on with Rick Perry and his conservative values? He claims to have a track record of not raising taxes. That's not true. He's repeatedly raised taxes and fees. Taxes are, are significantly higher now in Texas than they were before Perry was elected. And on social issues, he is wrong on every single issue. Opposes all recognition of same-sex marriage. Signed a bill prohibiting taxpayer funding for Planned Parenthood. Proclaimed that uh, August 6th is a day of prayer and fasting. You remember this, Lewis. Yeah. And continuing to insist other governors do these days of prayer. He doesn't believe there's any proof of human-affected global warming. He says there's no scientific consensus. We know there is. So this is a very, very scary guy. I'm telling you right now, not so much because his outrageous beliefs are just so out there, but because he actually could win the Republican nomination. And he's the first person who actually looks, sounds, and uh, walks the walk. It, it is disturbing. Now, Mitt, Summer, Mitt Romney does too, but of course, you've got the whole Mormon thing. The Mormon thing will be an issue, and also yeah. the Massachusetts thing will be an issue. Some are saying Rick Perry can't win because he's too overtly religious and too Tea Party sympathetic, which even though the media might have you think all Republicans love the Tea Party, many don't. And Kevin Drum on MotherJones.com says Republicans want to beat Obama so bad, and they know Romney's their best, best shot, that they're going to make sure it is Mitt Romney. We will see. I'm scared of Rick Perry. Hey, David Pakman here, host of The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you're like me, you're a regular listener of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I invite you to check out my show, The David Pakman Show. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll also hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists around. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out davidpakman.com, check out our show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of The David Pakman Show, all at davidpakman.com. For a while, it's been a strong possibility. Now it is for real. Texas Governor Rick Perry is running for the GOP presidential nomination. He will officially make his intentions clear during a speech tomorrow in South Carolina. NPR's Wade Goodwin has this introduction to Perry and his political career in Texas. The plains of West Texas are harsh, flat, treeless, and dusty, with a sky so vast it is almost impossible not to feel diminished. Paint Creek, where Rick Perry grew up, is straight out of Larry McMurtry's novel The Last Picture Show, only Paint Creek, Texas, is a lot smaller town than Archer City. Got a small school out there and I think two or three churches. Randy Denson is a rancher and owner and operator of the Cliff House Cafe in Stamford, Texas, just down the road from Paint Creek. Denson knows the Perry family well. 
Rex, you're a little younger than me. I was going off to college when he was running around here. I'll tell you one thing, he's got a fine mother. Rick Perry's father was a dry land cotton farmer, which is often a desperate occupation. In a piece in Texas Monthly last year entitled Boy's Life, Rick Perry said that the only time he saw his mother cry was when her brand new couch was covered in dirt by a fierce dust storm that blew through the cracks in the house. West Texas was forever reminding you who's boss. In the magazine story, Perry said he spent a lot of time alone with his dog. A lot. Randy Denson. But in town, it was all right. But if you were a country boy, it was lonely. Then in the summer of 1968, Rick Perry was off to Texas A&M. The future governor majored in veterinary science, but he was a lackluster student. Lots of B's, C's, and D's. After graduation, he became an Air Force pilot flying C-130 cargo planes. Rick Perry was gung-ho. He's a fellow who kind of is a mission-oriented person. And being a pilot, I mean, that's what you're built for. You're built for mission. Bill Miller is a Republican political consultant in Austin. Miller says that after Perry left the Air Force with the rank of captain, politics beckoned. Rick Perry began his career as a conservative Democrat, but sensing the winds of change in Texas in 1989, Perry jumped to the GOP and won the race for agriculture commissioner. Miller says that was a gutsy play. You know, he is a risk taker. He sneaked in sort of the back door on the ag commissioner race when everybody else above him was losing their races. Perry's never been the kind of popular governor George W. Bush was, either inside the state legislature or with the general public. But his political instincts and his understanding of how power works has made him the most powerful Texas governor perhaps ever. After President Obama was elected, Perry thrust himself into the national spotlight by suggesting that while the National Union was strong, if things kept on their current path, perhaps secession for Texas wasn't out of the question. It was actually a signal from Perry to the Tea Party that he was going to stand with them. It's easy to be dismissive of people who take risks and do things that are kind of out of the ordinary, and that was an out-of-the-ordinary thing for a politician to do. But, you know, when it works, you know, you look golden, and that's exactly the way he looks today. Miller also says Perry's been known as a fiscal conservative who was anti-regulation for banks, businesses, and the oil and gas industry. But in the last few months, Perry has begun to describe the way he sees world events through the prism of the Bible. I think we're in a time of great revival in this, in this world. In an interview with televangelist James Robeson in April, Perry saw the world economic crisis as a necessary trial that must be endured to teach a biblical lesson. To bring us back to those biblical principles, not spending all of our money, not asking for Pharaoh to, to, to give everything to everybody and to take care of, of, of folks, because at the end of the day, uh, it's slavery. Tomorrow, there'll be a new sheriff in the GOP race for president, one who knows how to raise big corporate campaign contributions, someone who will not let any candidate get to the right of him, and a man who, in more than two decades of electoral politics, has never lost a race. Wade Goodwin, NPR News, Dallas. Could you be, could you be squeaky clean and smash any hope of democracy is the headline? Says you're free to choose There's egg on your face and mud on your shoes One of these days they're gonna call it the blues Yeah, yeah
One day after Rick Perry made his big announcement for president, he showed his true thuggish colors by going after Ben Bernanke, the head of the Fed. Perry said it would be almost treasonous for Bernanke to print more money between now and the election, even though printing more money is about the only thing that'll get the economy going at this point. And Perry added, a kind of menace we haven't even seen in our nastiest presidential campaigns. If Bernanke does that, he said, I don't know what y'all would do to him in Iowa, but we'd treat him pretty ugly down in Texas. Now, what is that but the celebration of vigilante violence, bordering on a death threat? At best, it's childish, macho, playground bluster. And didn't we have enough of that with eight years of bring him on Bush? Perry might be even worse, as he's talked of the need to prepare for armed conflict with Russia, China, and India. That wouldn't make Washington inconsequential in people's lives, as he vowed to do the day he declared for the presidency. And anyway, he just wants to make Washington inconsequential, so it can't regulate business. Thuggishness, recklessness, and market fundamentalism combined with real right-wing fundamentalism. That's the whole Rick Perry package for you. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. And out with me, my private, and we'll sail around the world. I will be off at an end, and you, my way, let go. The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. I love you, I have a drowning grip on your adoring face. I love you, my responsibility has found a place. But obviously, beginning tonight, our continuing coverage of Indecision 2012, Elephant Stampede to the White House. As you may recall, Sunday belonged to the fiery congresswoman from Minnesota, Michelle Bachman, whose stunning performance at the Ames Iowa Straw Poll vaulted her to the front of the race. First of all, congratulations on your victory. But that was Sunday. <laughs> After careful reflection, it was decided Monday and Tuesday belonged to Texas Governor Rick Perry, whose stunning entrance to the presidential race vaulted him to the front of the race. Charismatic, he brings a new excitement and a lot of buzz to the GOP landscape. In fact, Perry reminds me a bit of a former Republican contender, Michelle Bachman, who brought so much excitement and buzz to the GOP landscape, lo, those many hours ago. But as of Tuesday night, Michelle Bachman's win and Rick Perry's jolt of excitement belong to the ages. Squirrel! Do you think this is the field or do you think we're waiting for Paul Ryan? Are we going to see some other people like a Paul Ryan? Somebody who could maybe appeal to moderate voters. I don't know, Paul Ryan. He's also, you know, very young at 41, but he has ideas. I hope he runs. <laughs> that was all from today. <laughs> Why is that? It's never enough for the media. They're like children. Mom, can I get a Paul Ryan? I just got you a Rick Perry! <laughs> and you already broke your Michelle Bachman! Oh! And before I get you anything else, where the f is your Ron Paul? 
And don't tell me he's no fun to play with. Of course, it's not like during those two days with Rick Perry, we didn't have some good times. Perry comes from the radical country club that loves to remind white America President Obama is other, not like you. Getting America back to work is the most important issue that faces this country. Being able to pay off 14 and a half or 16 trillion dollars worth of debt. That big black cloud that hangs over America. That black cloud Perry is talking about is President Barack Obama. Wait, what? Pretty sure Perry was saying the black cloud is the debt. In fact, if you keep the soundbite going. That big black cloud that hangs over America, that debt. See? That debt. And well, the next day, Ed Schultz did apologize for not playing the whole clip. He never really addressed his insinuation about what Perry meant with the phrase black cloud over America. But I guess that's the thing about clouds. Some people see a, a racist dog whistle. Some people see George Washington wrestling a leprechaun. GOP land is all of Twitter now that Texas Governor Rick Perry has announced that he's ready to ascend to the White House. His candidacy was actually launched the week before at a prayer-a-palooza he held in Houston, where he consecrated himself as the Christian candidate. Only about 30,000 evangelicals attended Perry's public prayer spectacle in a cavernous football stadium, but the presidential wannabe got saturation coverage by the media, which has gone gaga over yet another small-minded right-wing Texas governor. If the media had any real journalistic curiosity about what kind of national, quote, leader this guy would be, they could have slipped away on that same day to the city's convention center. There, a much larger crowd of 100,000 Houstonians had gathered in bleak testimony to Perry's gubernatorial leadership. They were some of Houston's many low-income children and parents struggling to make ends meet in Perry's hard-scrabble Texas economy. These needy families had come to a citywide back-to-school event where backpacks, school supplies, uniforms, haircut vouchers, immunizations, and bags of food were being provided by the school district. Officials had expected 25,000 to show up, but four times that number came. Some families had camped out for hours before the doors opened, and many were turned away as supplies were exhausted by 10 a.m. It shows the need, said a solemn school spokesman. This is Jim Hightower saying, Perry is known in Texas as Governor Supercuts, not only for his spiffy hairdo, but also for cutting the budgets of schools and poverty programs and holding down wages. In his 10-year tenure, Perry has created more minimum wage jobs than all other states combined, and his super-rich state now has more families in poverty than any other. Can you say President Supercuts?
This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Tori Brown. On Saturday, Texas Governor Rick Perry announced his presidential bid at a conservative gathering in South Carolina. Speculation had been brewing for months whether Perry would enter the race, but one thing was for sure. Fox News was ready to promote this latest GOP candidate. I mean, do you think, Bob, that's significant? Is he the guy that can beat Obama? Who? Rick Perry. No. Feast your uh, eyes on that. Let me, let me get back to something that Dana said here. Why would somebody vote for Michelle Bachman if they're a Tea Party member, um, as opposed to uh, Rick Perry, who's been a governor and who, as many people say, was Tea Party before Tea Party was cool? Well, first of all, we don't know if Governor Perry would even want to fly on Air Force One. I mean, I think he would have to from time. Maybe he'd ride his horse around town. Maybe. His horse. That would be newsworthy. (laughs) Jeez, get a room. Governor Rick Perry dove into Republican presidential waters this week with a splash the size of Texas. He held events in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. And as NPR's Ari Shapiro reports from New Hampshire, Perry's first week in the race showed that he is not shying away from controversy. The Texas governor jumped in Monday showing he's more than happy to attack, even the chairman of the Federal Reserve. In Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Rick Perry said, If this guy prints more money between now and the election, I don't know what y'all would do to him in Iowa, but we would treat him pretty ugly down in Texas. I mean, printing more money to play politics at this particular time in American history is almost treasonous, in my opinion. The Fed chairman is an independent post, and the current chairman was a Bush appointee. Republican guru Karl Rove, who worked in the Bush White House, was not amused. He told Fox News, you don't accuse the chairman of the Federal Reserve of being a traitor to his country. And suggesting that we treat him pretty ugly in Texas, uh, you know, that, that's not, again, a presidential statement. President Obama was more forgiving, or some might say patronizing, on CNN. Uh, I'll, I'll cut him some slack. He's, he's uh, only been at it uh, for a few days now. On Wednesday, Perry arrived here in New Hampshire, the country's first primary state, where he spoke at Politics and Eggs, a bipartisan meeting of business leaders. He planted a religious social conservative flag by saying that scientists have manipulated data on global warming. And I don't think, from my perspective, that I want America uh, to be engaged in spending that much money on still a scientific theory that has not been proven. But scientists and most governments across the globe agree the data show that global warming is real and caused by humans. University of New Hampshire political scientist Andy Smith was at that breakfast. He says talking about social issues to a moderate New Hampshire crowd was not Perry's worst offense Wednesday morning. In Smith's view, the whole speech just belly flopped. Obvious applause lines didn't generate any applause uh, to the point where I, as an audience member, felt somewhat uncomfortable. It was like a comedian kind of falling flat on stage. On Thursday, Perry raised eyebrows again in coastal Portsmouth. Oh, I was trying to give her a <laughs> On a bright, sunny morning, he greeted people enjoying coffee and pastries at Popover's Cafe. A boy prompted by his mother asked Perry how old the Earth is. Perry said, I hear your mother was asking about evolution. It's a theory that's out there. It's got some gaps. In Texas, we teach both uh, creationism and evolution in our public schools. Because I figure you're smart enough to figure out which one is right. Actually, creationism is not part of the Texas public school curriculum. Texas does call on students to evaluate and analyze evolution, which could allow teachers to discuss creationism. 
At popovers, a crowd of protesters hovered on the periphery. If they're all senior citizens, they don't have a thing in the world to worry about. They carried signs saying, no Texas trash talk and another Texas idiot for sale. 61-year-old George Carlisle is a bit more open-minded. He owns a local real estate company and lives right above the cafe. These guys are on and these women are on 24 hours a day. And I think it's wonderful. But we've got to be ready to see their humanity, too, and their foibles and their flaws. If you put a microphone in front of Abraham Lincoln for 24 hours a day, I'm sure he'd say something stupid. 51-year-old <laughs> Steve Scott is reserving judgment as well. The joke around New Hampshire is that, you know, you don't really know anybody until you meet him three times. And that goes with uh, the federal candidates. And do you have a favorite in the, in the Republican race yet? I haven't met any of them three times yet. Now he's met Rick Perry once. Ari Shapiro, NPR News, Concord, New Hampshire. issued a challenge to Michelle Bachman before. I'm going to double down on it now. Uh, she's a welfare queen of the highest order. Uh, her uh, family farm takes federal farm subsidies for the American people, and she has not returned any of that money. In fact, she's making a lot of money off of it. Now, Michelle Bachman claims that that's not true. Let me give you a quote that she said. She said, the farm, uh, referring to the family farm that they have, is my father's in, uh, father-in-law's farm. It's not my husband and my farm. My husband and I have never gotten a penny of money from the farm. Here's the only problem with that. It is 100% certifiable lie. Now, that's a strong statement. How do I know? Well, I looked at Michelle Bachman's tax records. It's the taxes that she filed. And remember, she's a tax attorney. So it's not like, oh, golly gee, willikers, I didn't know what was happening with my taxes. Okay? So what, what did she say in her taxes in 2009? Made money off the farm. 2010? Made money off the farm. Not her, the father-in-law. Her and her husband made money off the farm. In fact, since 2006, they have made between $37,504 and $120,000 in income from that farm that takes federal farm subsidies. Okay? Uh, and how much is the farm worth? Well, we know because, again, it's in her own tax forms. They estimate that the farm is worth between $500,000 and $1 million. Okay? So, now, I give you that number so you have a sense of the scope. So how much farm subsidies did they take? Well, before 2001, when her and her husband were not making money off of it, it was just the father-in-laws, he'd already taken $250,000 in subsidies. Now, the farm, as you see, is only worth at most a million dollars. That's a lot of subsidies to take, right? And that helped to build up the farm that Michelle Bachman now profits off of. But it's not just that. Since 2001, since Michelle Bachman has been profiting from this farm, it has taken an additional $150,000 from the American taxpayers in subsidies. So I issue another challenge to Michelle Bachman. 
Give our money back, you welfare queen. Because apparently the first time I told you... You didn't hear me! Okay, and you need to hear it loud and clear. Okay, that is $154,000 that you sucked out of the system for your own benefit and put into your pocket. What happened? I thought you were a social conservative. I thought you were a fiscal conservative. Give the money back to the American people. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. couple of other crazy statements from Republican candidates. Michelle Bachman, I don't know what's worse. Her creating a situation where she has to clarify she's not for slavery or saying she's very proud of her husband's anti-gay brainwashing clinic. Which is which is worse, do you think, Lewis? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think I should take a side in this one. Michelle Bachman says she's proud of, of course, Bachman and Associates. We had last week John Becker from Truth Wins Out on the show. And he did this undercover video investigation, which was brilliant, where he went to five pray away the gay therapy sessions. Didn't work. He's still gay. And um, Michelle Bachman defends the clinic, saying she's, quote, very proud of it. That's bad. That's really pretty bad. I don't know what's worse. At the same time, Michelle Bachman made a statement that black children born into slavery in the 1860s were more likely to be raised by two parents than black children are today. And you would think, if you're a politician, it has to be high on your list of rules that, especially if you want to be president, never insinuate that slavery was a positive force for black people. And even if that's not what she's saying directly, she's saying, you know, in some senses, the situation for black people was better when they were slaves. That's just not a situ something you want to say, is mm -hmm. it? You probably shouldn't uh, create your own research results either. No, that that's also something you don't want to be do doing. I would do that, yeah. So I don't know which is worse for Michelle Bachman. Who's more, I guess, gay black people are the ones who are most offended because she's going after both of them. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I'm not gay or black, and I'm pretty, pretty offended. But you know what? I don't think I'm in Michelle Bachman's... Uh, I don't think Michelle Bachman cares whether I support her or not yeah, right because she's not going to win your vote she's not going to win my vote either way that's uh, right uh, well i mean we're assuming she won't win your vote no no i yeah. can tell you for sure and then herman cain pizza mogul herman cain i can't believe i mean I, that's how, how he's he's pizza mogul herman cain he wants freedom of religion but it's only selective so when it comes to muslims being able to build what he calls a mosque and is actually a community center that's open to anybody like for example in murfreesboro tennessee he is not really for freedom of religion in those cases. 
he's only in freedom uh, in favor of freedom of religion when it doesn't involve Muslims. And I think it's safe to assume there's probably some other groups he also doesn't want in there. No doubt, yeah. And Herman Cain still sticking with this incredible strategy of saying he'll expand on what he would do as president once he's elected. And it's completely brilliant because like I said before, if a surgeon said he would he would expand, he would figure out what he's going to do, but only after the person has been put under and their chest has been cut open, we wouldn't accept that. If a teacher said they were going to figure out the lesson plan once the semester started, we wouldn't accept that. So why is it somehow acceptable? And I hope really that it's not. And I think the fact that Herman Cain has no chance of being the Republican nominee confirms it's not. Why would it be acceptable when it comes to policy, political policy? It doesn't make any sense to me. No. But you're right. No chance. He's got no chance. It's just fun to talk about these things. It is because, uh, you know, it's fun and at the same time it's horrifying because they, they're laughing at us so, so deeply. They're bellowing out laughter at the fact that these people are even candidates and mainstream fine. He doesn't have a chance of winning, but he's still somewhat of a mainstream candidate in that he's participating in nationally televised TV debates. He is, he is a candidate, I think is fair to say. Mm -hmm. How is this guy even in the picture in the United States? That's really the question. And I personally don't really love being laughed at. We, we had enough being laughed at when George W. Bush was president by the rest of the world. I would really rather this guy just not even be, be in the picture. But he is. And what can we do about it, Lewis? It's unfortunate. That's how it goes. It is. Lewis, sad about it. I'm sad. find it necessary to declare on national television that quote I am a serious person you're probably not meet Michelle Bachman she's currently running for president but suffering a few credibility problems one is that she keeps creating her own fanciful version of history for example she recently bewildered Iowa voters by asserting that the founding fathers had magnanimously included every American in the nation's new government Quote, it didn't matter the color of people's skin, she marveled. It didn't matter whether they were of a higher class or a lower class. It made no difference. Seriously? Indeed, Bachman plowed straight ahead into a fantasy about the founders' glorious work to free the slaves. She insisted that these wealthy, white, slave-owning men, quote, worked tirelessly until slavery was no more in the United States. Seriously? No surprise, then, that the Congresswoman also invents her own personal history. While she unsparingly attacks Washington's spending addiction, she apparently doesn't own a mirror. It turns out that her husband's counseling clinic has received thousands of dollars in state and federal grants. Oh, she dodges, those tax dollars didn't come to us. Seriously? Yes, she explains, the money went to train our clinic's employees, as though that's not a subsidy for their business. Then there is the $260,000 in subsidies for her family's farm. 
Oh, she dissembled, that went to my father-in-law, adding that I have never gotten a penny from the farm. Seriously? But wait, she's listed as a partner in the farm, and her financial disclosure forms report that, in fact, she has received $105,000 in income from it. This is Jim Hightower saying, Bachman says she wants to take government back. And in all seriousness, it looks like she's already clawing back her piece of it. GOP officials unveiled their new political strategy for 2012, re-electing President Obama and making his life even more of a living hell. Republicans say turning the president into a broken shell of his former self is at the core of their party's values, and giving Obama four more years in office will allow them ample time to destroy his faith in humanity, turn his hair completely white, and ruin his marriage by 2016. President Obama's best hope, maybe his only hope for getting reelected, is that the Republicans will be so far out in right field that they'll turn off independents and scare progressives back into his arms. Michelle Bachman would do it in a hurry, so would Rick Perry, and not just because of his odious comments about Ben Bernanke and his nightmarish impersonation of George W. Bush, but also because of his really ignorant remarks about global warming. Perry's a flat earther when it comes to climate change. On Wednesday, he called it a scientific theory that's not been proven. And that was no slip of the tongue. In his campaign book, Fed Up, he said it was all one contrived phony mess. Perry doesn't want the government to spend money reducing carbon emissions. Why would he if he doesn't think there's a problem there? For him, there's no such thing as an environmental problem. That's why he wants a moratorium on all environmental regulations. Other Republican candidates are also way out there on the environment, with Bachman and Gingrich wanting to close down the EPA entirely. These crazy positions may be necessary to win the Republican nomination, or at least to get attention, but they won't help Republicans in the race for the White House. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Jess Levin. Previously, the right-wing media chastised President Obama after he announced a Midwest bus tour focusing on jobs. The headline at foxnation.com read, quote, Obama copies Palin, plans bus tour. This week, as the actual tour rolled out, conservative media figures found even more to complain about. But let's be honest, he doesn't have to waste your tax dollars and travel around in a $1.1 million luxury liner to find out what's on the minds of these so-called commoners. Any idea how much this might cost the taxpayer? By the way, he flew there on Air Force One. He flew there with the Secret Service, the entourage. We're talking, I, I, look, I'm a money's, money guy, numbers guy. I, I'm guessing it's going to be in the millions. According to Secret Service, the buses will end up paying for themselves over a projected 10-year lifespan. Also, one of the buses will be used to transport and protect the eventual Republican nominee.
President Obama, first African-American president, he obviously can't have problems with his core, core base, African-American voters, right? Well, Maxine Waters is uh, on a tour with other people from the Congressional Black Caucus, talking to constituents. Look, she says, we love this president, we want to support him, but quote, we're getting tired. And then, listen to what she asked the audience. This is really interesting. We don't put pressure on the president. Let me tell you why. We don't put pressure on the president because y'all love the president. You love the president. You're very proud. We do. You're very proud to have a black man. First time in the history of the United States of America. If we go after the president too hard, you going after us. Hey! She says, look. <laughs> but did you hear that at the end? They're like, go after him. And she said, you love the president. A lot of people were like, I don't think so. Now, look, I'm sure there was disagreement in that room, but you saw they were like, go, go, go. But it's fascinating because she's admitting, hey, look, if you let us go with what we really think, apparently they'd go after him pretty aggressively. She's saying that they're putting on the brakes because they're worried about their constituents. Look, she said in other parts, like, we don't know why in this trip that he's in the United States now, and he's not in any black community. We don't know what the strategy is. Now listen to the crowd again as she talks about this issue again. When you tell us it's all right, it's all right. When you tell us it's all right, and you unleash us, and you tell us you're ready for us to have this conversation, we're ready to have the conversation. We're elected officials. We're trying to do the right thing and the best thing. When you let us know it is time to let go, we'll let go. <laughs> Did you hear that? Almost in unison, let go. She, she said, hey, you tell us when it's all right. They said, it's all right, go get him. Why is he not in the African-American communities? That quote from Representative Cleaver, who's also, in fact, he's the head of the Congressional Black Caucus, that we shared with you a couple of weeks ago, that was devastating, when he said, well, look, if he uh, tries to help the African-American community, you know, conservatives will label him as being biased towards African-Americans. In other words, they know he's not doing anything for African-Americans on purpose, because he's afraid of what Fox News and the conservatives are going to call him. And here's Maxine Waters asking the audience, you want to let us go? Because we're tired, man. We'd like to go after him. And the audience is saying, go, move forward. Because if he's not going to help African-American constituents, what's the use in the first ever African-American president if he's going to do the opposite and ignore you completely because he's afraid of the conservatives. I could never pretend that I don't love you. You could never pretend that I'm your man. That's exactly the way that I want it. It's exactly the way that I I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong, progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com.
Speaking of Dr. Martin Luther King, his Washington, D.C. memorial is scheduled to be unveiled over the weekend, weather permitting. And that would be just in time for the 48th anniversary of his historic I Have a Dream speech. President Obama plans to speak... But I wonder what the I Have a Dream speech would have sounded like if President Obama delivered it 48 years ago instead of Dr. Martin Luther King. So let's turn on our presidential what if and find out, shall we? Okay, just punching in some information here. I Have a Dream speech. Replace Dr. Martin Luther King with President Obama. Set dial to 1964, Washington Mall. No, don't email me when new updates are available. No, I don't want to join your mailing list. Major combat operations in Iraq have ended. In the Battle of Iraq, the United States and our allies have prevailed. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Well, I'm not a crook. I earned everything I've got. a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created in. Now, of course, some people are admittedly more equal than others. Everybody knows that. And those of us who are less equal have an obligation to work in a bipartisan manner with the people who are more equal. I mean, that's just common sense. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. And naturally, the sons of the slave owners will be, don't get me wrong, they'll be at the head of that table. But, you know, just being at the same table is a pretty good deal. I have a dream that my two little daughters will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And maybe a little bit of the race, too. I mean, we're all human. We're all a little bit racist. And we need to hear the points of view of folks who are rapidly, violently racist, too, and get them involved in the debate. I have a dream today. Here's what I think is fair. That over the last two years, in an emergency situation, uh, our basic attitude was we got to get some things done. But in order to do that, basically worked with the process as opposed to transform the process. And, and there's no doubt that that frustrated folks. Yes, we can. But yes, we can. But yes, we can. But yes, we can. But it frustrates me. I think what I would say is yeah. it's, it's not, not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. Larry Summers did a heck of a job, pun intended, 
but you know I'm feeling great about uh, where the American people are considering what we've gone through. But I mean, we've gone through uh, the two toughest years of any time since the Great Depression, and in light of that, uh, the fact that people have been resilient, that folks are still out there working, opening businesses, you know, working in the community, looking after their families, uh, taking care of their responsibilities, that's encouraging. So there's still a lot of good stuff happening, but yes we can, but yes we can, but yes we can, but Yes, yes, we we can. Can. yes, we can. Yes, we can. People are frustrated. You know, people, a lot of folks are hurting out there still. And you know, in that environment, I think that they're hoping that uh, we can do a little bit better uh, here in Washington than we've been doing. But yes, we can. But. Earlier in the show, we were using our presidential what if to find out what Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech would have sounded like had it been delivered instead by President Obama. Since our presidential what if is still on, let's go back to 1964 and hear more of that speech. <laughs> say vicious racist, but, you know, folks who are kind of hot under the cover, and understandably so. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. But, you know, they won't date or marry each other. Well, hey, that would be crazy. To be clear, we are not encouraging miscegenation here, just, just hanging out. You know, like at a, a picnic or something. I have a dream tonight. And when this happens, when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, light-skinned black men and white men, and I do mean men here, we're not looking to be around you women. I can't emphasize that enough. Gentiles and reformed Jews with European Alicia Silverstone looking features. Liberal, tepid Protestants and normal Catholics, you know, the kind that don't get all batshit when the Pope is on the TV, will be able to join hands and sing the words of that old Negro spiritual. Slightly attenuated oppression at last. Slightly attenuated oppression at last. Thank God Almighty. We have a mildly mitigated state of institutional second-class citizenship at last. My 
was wrapped up in clover The night I looked at you I found a dream That I could speak to A dream that I I know the Latino voters have been uh, displeased. Uh, we've done a number of stories on that. Uh, there's a strong uh, Latino activist by the name of Roberto Lavato. Uh, he's been on the Young Turks a uh, number of times. Uh, he's now uh, leading a Latino organization called Presente.org. And uh, you don't know that man, but I do, okay? And I know Roberto Strong, right? So it kind of surprised me when I saw this first quote about President Obama. He said, we don't need to discourage people from voting for President Obama. I said, oh, that's interesting. Until you hear the second part of the quote. Then he said, he's doing a smashing job of it himself. <laughs> so, look, he points out that uh, in 2010, they, uh, in the fiscal year of 2010, they deported 393,000 people, uh, breaking all records uh, and way outpacing George W. Bush. Which leads to Roberto's next comment. He said, We know that the people in the Obama campaign are running a campaign that assumes that Latino voters will take anything over a Republican, including a Democrat that is worse than a Republican on immigration. Our actions are to show that you're wrong. So, here they come. And they're not playing around. Now, look, he's saying, What do you, what do you want us to do? You're deporting more than Bush. And other activists have said, look, in order to deport that many people, you're down to traffic tickets. Okay, you got a traffic ticket, you're gone, etc. In fact, the Obama administration claims, hey, look, we're looking hard to find out who has criminal records and then deporting them, which everybody agrees with, right? But then we just found out that at least 50% of the people deported did not have criminal records, right? I mean, they are being absolutely gung-ho in this process. Now, when you look at the effort put into the other side of the coin, so what happened in terms of immigration reform and pathway to citizenship. Nothing, squat, zilch. They tried for the DREAM Act, which by the way, back when the political spectrum shifted so far to the right, was a Republican idea. Where hey, look, if you're gonna go to school or you're gonna join the army and you're undocumented and you were brought in when you were a young kid, you could at least go to school if you're under scholarship or, or join the army, etc. Now the Republicans of course are dead set against it and Obama couldn't even get that passed, right? And so, and he didn't even try on pathway to citizenship. So people like Lovato are saying, hey, you didn't try on this, but when it comes to deportation, you're trying your ass off. Now look, here's why it doesn't make any sense for Obama politically too. Because all those deportations, are they gonna get him a single vote? Think about that for a second, because that's really important. Okay, is he gonna turn around to Republicans, independent voters, et cetera, and say, look, I deported the hell out of the, uh, these folks over here, okay? So uh, if you're looking for somebody who's tough on immigration, it's me. Even if that's true, which I think it is true, and Roberto Lovato and a lot of other Latino Im uh, immigrant activists think it's true, you're n you think you're gonna get conservatives who are concerned about immigration and border reform and all that stuff to say, oh yeah, Obama's our guy. Obama's been so tough on that. Yeah, I'm gonna vote for Obama. You think that's going to happen? Good luck. But it, you know what? But you're not even making that case. How would they even know? The only people who know are actually on the side that it might vote for you that you're hurting, right? So the people who are on the other side who want to be tough on immigrants, they don't
They don't even know that you're 10 times tougher than Bush is in deportations. So how do you plan to get a single vote out of it? Do you understand? It's a strategy that makes no sense. Even if you thought, well, Obama's playing, you know, 12-dimensional chess and, you know, and he's playing rope-a-dope and that's why he's agreeing and doubling down on Republican strategies. But he isn't going to get a single vote for that. And he's losing the Latino vote at, at, in droves. Look, here's what Congressman Gutierrez says. He says they're going to stay home. Look, you know, Lovato says, uh, the final quote from him is, the idea is actually to save the Obama campaign. Because if you don't turn around, the Latino voters were connected to them. We know them. You're not fooling them. At best, they're going to stay home. Don't be stupid. Don't do that. It's not like the Latino activists are looking for a Republican president. But they're saying, you've got to give us something. Otherwise, when I go to talk to somebody and, and convince them that they should vote Democrat, how in the world would I do that? They said, but wait a minute. He's much tougher than Bush in, in those regards. He's going to get zero votes for that. And on the other hand, he's going to lose possibly millions of votes. Again, unbelievably stupid politics. Hi, Jay. This is Rochelle from Texas. I just finished listening to your commentary about the um, petition that you were taking to the Obama campaign to let them know that his supporters were going to withhold their support if he didn't do things that we want him to do. You know, when he was elected, I subscribed to all the Obama podcasts I could, and I couldn't get enough of hearing what he had to say. And his words were like a like a cool cloth on my hot forehead, you know? I loved it. I'm at the point now where I don't think there's anything he could do to turn around my disappointment and my discouragement. And I remember, I, it just keeps nagging at me at one of his, uh, one of the press briefings, the guy who was in charge of the, I, can, I can't think of his name now, some reporter asked him, oh, he's, Obama's not uh, giving his base what he wants. What are they, what is he thinks going to happen with that? And that guy said, where else are they going to go? So it's like, you know, Obama's just not that into us. Uh, he doesn't want to do what we want him to do. And I think that we need to hook our wagon to a different <laughs> horse, <laughs> for lack of a better word. I don't know how strong the progressive movement is, but if we could do a write-in candidate, I mean, we are, we're not primarying Obama, and that would take a huge amount of money and effort, and it would detract from Democratic campaigns. But couldn't we do a write-in campaign? Somebody wonderful and progressive, you know, Russ Feingold, Bernie Sanders, Alan Grayson, you know, we could come up with a lot of names of people who really are progressive and who have been standing up for our causes all along and not caving in and giving in and acting more like a Republican. Um, I don't know if it's possible, but even if we failed, maybe we'll make a comment. Um, I appreciate your thought that you were 
letting him know that you're going to withhold support and campaign financing and possibly less voter turnout because of that. And isn't that just kind of a negative way of making a point? Whereas if we made a positive point and shoot our arrows at the one that we really want to get in there and get into office, even if we fail, we've made a point. We've, we've got it out there that we are a force to be reckoned with. And that's just me sitting here in Texas, you know, <laughs> where they're trying to uh, change the zoning so that my one Democratic representative will be ripped out of our area and will be forced to have Republicans everywhere. Just a thought. Thanks, Jay. I love your show. Um, you've turned me on to a lot of other progressive podcasts and programs and news sources that I really feel like you're doing a lot and uh, hope we can all pitch in and do some more. Thank you, Jay. Bye. Hey, Jay. This is Bess Marinoff. I am a deputy living in North Dakota, working for a fairly large-sized county sheriff's department. And the reason why I'm calling is the Second Amendment and gun control. And I haven't heard on your show anything, or at least lately, anything about the gun control and the big issue that we have. And one thing I don't understand when it comes to Republicans and to conservatives is why so many, so many of law enforcement officers vote on the right side and I really, really can't understand that. Let's put on the side that they vote against their own interests because, you know, Republicans are always against the unions and against all those things that law enforcement officers will benefit. But let's focus on the issue of gun control. And gun control, to me, is a huge issue because in this country, people could readily go to any hunting goods store and get AR-15, M-14, and those are assault rifles. Those are rifles designed to kill people. Those are not hunting rifles. And to me as a cop, when I go to a call, when I go to a domestic call, I would like to have the bigger gun. I would like to be the only person with a gun in that situation. I would not want to go to a situation that would involve alcohol or a very pissed off person and to know that somewhere in the house there could be a loaded weapon with a bullet that is designed specifically for me and that's one big thing I don't understand is you know so many cops vote Republican and they are so pro second amendment and that's kind of voting against your own interest that's allowing people to have the bigger and the better gun because frankly I, I I do carry a 40 caliber pistol and to me I don't think it will be fair to walk again to a house that has an AR-15 assault rifle so I don't know second amendment to me is a big big issue also why cops vote Republican mostly is another big big issue for me I guess I won't find out but kind of wanted to share a thought thanks bye Thank you. 
Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So today, I'm going to put an idea out there. It was not my idea. I have no idea if it's going to work. I have no idea if anyone will even be interested in it. But uh, but I'm going to put it out there anyways, and we're going to see what happens. Uh, an idea was submitted by a listener via email suggesting that some of the voicemailers who call in actually have, uh, you know, like pretty decent points to make and that they they do such a good job that this emailer was under the impression that maybe some uh, some listeners would be interested in submitting content of their own to be played on the show like as actual content rather than just as a voicemail. So, you know, they would actually like, they'd put a little bit more time into it. They'd, uh, you know, uh, submit kind of a, a more polished commentary, you know, three to eight minutes, something like that uh, on a given topic and, you know, form it in, in you know, in the form of a, a short commentary. And, uh, and then they would submit it and if, which is a huge if, and you know, as the producer of the show called Best of the Left, I definitely take uh, my job seriously and don't want to uh, start putting you know content on the show that doesn't rise to the appropriate level just because they're listeners and I you know would feel bad about telling them that they don't make the cut. But so if it's good enough, well then it gets submitted. And I, I actually really like this point that the emailer made. He said, "And look, if if they do the work." and they submit content to you, and it's not good enough to be played on the show, well then hopefully they will still, you know, take, uh, you know, take pleasure in the fact that they, you know, they, they did this work and they feel good about it and and that it helped them kind of uh, solidify their own thoughts and opinions. And, and uh, you know, by, by doing the work to organize their thoughts, they will be better off for it, whether or not that content ever goes out on the show. And I was like, you know what? When you put it that way, and I can put it that way on the show, that sounds like kind of a win-win. So if you're interested, uh, this is open to anyone uh, for the time being. Well, first of all, if you can record yourself on the computer and make it sound good, please do that. If you can't, go ahead and leave a voicemail. And you know, if you just want to tackle a topic, you know, if you're a listener of the show, you know that there are all sorts of to topics that uh, get recycled regularly. Keep your comments relatively short. Obviously, the shorter you keep it, uh, the the less strict I have to be on uh, the quality. You know, if if, if you have a, a two minute commentary that's okay, it might get on. If you leave an eight minute comment, it's got to be awesome uh, to to make it in. So you know, keep that in mind, and uh, and especially uh, and the person who came to mind immediately. Um, and I'm sure this will blow up his ego, uh, it was uh, Michael from, from Glen Burnie because uh, you guys don't know this, but as the producer, I know that Michael's voicemails are the ones who have to be edited the least, meaning he says um and uh and leaves uh, the least an amount of uncomfortably long pauses in his voicemails. And so I clean up all the voicemails and I almost never have to, to uh, clean up his. And I was like, oh, like, Michael Glenn from Glen Burnie, like he's pretty good, and and uh, he does a decent job of of coming up with ideas that he'll always preface with. I had this idea, and I've never heard anyone else mention it, so I wanted to mention it, and I thought that's a good way to go. If you have an, an idea that you have not heard expressed on the show, and you're not just reiterating things that have already been said, way better, way better. So, um, 
Anyways, I, I think I've talked long enough. I think you get the idea. Uh, I gave the voicemail line, 206-202-3410. Or if you can record yourself on the computer, please do that. Uh, eight minutes, I think, should be just about the max uh, for, for any comment you leave. And we'll all see what happens. It'll be an adventure. So that's going to be it for today. I'm just going to thank a couple of members. Gretel Yu signed up for a leftist yearly membership back on June 3rd, 2010, and has stuck with the show since then. Same with Matt P., who also signed up for a leftist yearly membership back on May 16th, 2010. So huge thanks uh, to a couple of long, long-time uh, members, Gretel and Matt, and all the members and donors who make the show possible. I couldn't do it without you guys. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it. Please keep sharing those individual clips that I, I you know, do all that extra work to get them posted on YouTube just so you guys can, uh, you know, sh- share via Facebook or Twitter or Google Plus or email or Reddit or whatever uh, suits your fancy. It really makes a huge difference uh, to helping spread the word about liberal commentators, about this show in particular, and I promise you it'll make you feel better personally uh, and, and you know help you engage in the whole political process, and it will keep you sane. I guarantee it. To stay connected to the show between episodes, join up with us directly on Facebook and Twitter, as well as by donating your uh, Facebook and Twitter accounts. That's going to make a huge difference as I, I gear up and begin to use uh, all the social media outlets I have more and more. Uh, I'm really trying to make more of an effort to do that. I've been slacking for a while, but I'm really trying to gear up on that. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 11 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Fine fine black and white Bought a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only